you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Proverbs, chapter number 25, Proverbs 25. And uh, this evening we'll start out chapter 25 and uh, look at, at some interesting stuff here. entitled it, Royal Advice, Royal Advice. Uh, the word king is used repetitively in, in the first seven verses, and we're going to look at those. And, uh, and really, it is interesting, uh, the advice that's given for kings and two kings and things of that nature. And you think, well, uh, I'm not a king, and, uh, and there's, no, uh, there's no land that I'm a prospective king of. Uh, so uh, that might be true, but while we may not be kings, uh, we certainly desire to be in the presence of the king of kings. Uh, and you know there is there's a, quite a difference between uh, a king and their subjects, just the common person. And I would count myself a common person, just somebody that would be common. Uh, but yet we should learn and and understand that of the king, because in all reality we are of a royal uh, heritage through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we do have a rich heritage, and, uh, and we do need to understand that. So as we look at this and think about it, I want you to think, as a child of the king, uh, this could be very applicable to you. Proverbs chapter number 25 and verse number 1, we'll just read the first verse and we'll stop as it's kind of an introductory, and then we'll get into the rest of the verses after that. Uh, but it says there in verse number 1, These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you just for your goodness to us. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to gather together in your house, Father, around your word, that we could study, that we could learn, that we could uh, look into your word, Father, and find uh, more information that would just help us and strengthen us in our lives. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me, that you would touch each and every heart, Father, that as only you can, and God will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we look at this verse, uh, it's interesting. I want us to re remember and realize this. If you remember correctly, the first uh, nine chapters up till chapter 10 uh, of the book of Proverbs were written as a, as a letter. Oftentimes you see the words, my son, and it was written as a letter from a father to his son, giving all kinds of advice. We saw that over and over again in those chapters. And then chapters 10, all the way up through uh, 25, or chapter 24, including chapter 24, but not including 25, is yet another segment. And we saw that where they were just one, oftentimes one verse Proverbs. Uh, for the past couple of chapters, we had a couple that would go together, several verses, but many times uh, it was just a single verse. And in chapter 25, we have another division break, and uh, look with me what it says there. It says, these are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. I want to give you just the history here of this a little bit, and, uh, and I was curious, I read it, and I thought, well, that's almost like an introduction than uh, a proverb. It's not really a proverb, but it is historical. And it is interesting that they would include it, and they included it for reason. Uh, king Hezekiah, I started looking at it, he was king some 300 years after Solomon. Well, that's pretty significant. 
So we have most of the book of Proverbs, uh, we assume, had been recorded, had been uh, used, and had been even read, perhaps, throughout that 300 years as it had been assembled. And then we come to chapter number 25, and, and it's, there's a clarification for our understanding that, hey, some 300 years after that Solomon has already passed on, uh, that it says, these are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. Now, who, who was Hezekiah? Hezekiah uh, was probably one of the most godly kings of Israel. And I was just looking at it a little bit, and I, thought, I found this very interesting. Hezekiah was raised by a godless father. Uh, he did not have a godly father. He did not have a good upbringing. Uh, and if you want to put it in modern day terms, terms, he was not raised in a Christian home and raised in church. Matter of fact, quite the opposite uh, was true for his home. But yet, Hezekiah turned out to be a very godly king uh, in the time. And you say, well, that's interesting. Why is all of this important? It's important because as I started looking at that and realizing, hey, some 300 years later uh, that, that they had come across some other proverb uh, or proverbs of Solomon. These were of Solomon. It says that in our verse. Uh, and they added them to the book. And as I read that, I, I stopped for a moment and I thought, the Bible really is an amazing book. If you think about it, it was written over, uh, if I'm not mistaken, some, a span of some 1,600 years. Uh, there's quite a bit of time, and if you think about the Bible and who wrote the Bible, kings like Solomon, the wisest man in the world, fishermen like Peter, uh, and, and kings like David, and, and all sorts of men over that span of time penned the words of the Word of God uh, as God had given it to them. And you got to think, it didn't, they didn't just say, well, uh, we'll add that to it. Okay, we got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are those. And, uh, and on, then all of a sudden, you know, the next book came along. And, hey, we'll put that in there. Now we got uh, all those. We got six books of the Bible. Oh, here's another book. And we got seven. No, over time, uh, they kind of all added everything together. And it's amazing if you think about the processes of that. And I don't know exactly how they did it all, but I do know this. God's hand was on every part of it. Well, how do you know that? Why do you believe that? Why, why can you say that? Turn with me. Save your spot in Proverbs 25. And I think this is important. Go, back, go with me to Psalm chapter 119. And I want you just to see one verse. Psalm 119, verse 89. The Bible says this, in Psalm 119, verse 89, the Bible says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I, I, was, I, put, I could have put down several verses, but that's one, just one I wrote down, that, hey, that's clear, the word of God is settled forever. 
Uh, and, and we can bank on that. Uh, in Matthew chapter number 5, I think it's long about verse 16, uh, it says that you shouldn't add to the words of God and, and that not one jot nor tittle would pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And, and you could go on and on and say, hey, you know what? It's interesting to look at this and see the history that as Hezekiah, 300 years after Solomon, uh, was, was, I don't know what he was doing when he came across this. The Bible doesn't give us history. You can go back and reread his life story, and, and, uh, and there's not a, a clear mention, at least, of it. But there were scribes that worked with Hezekiah, and, uh, and they're named in, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah may have been one of them. And, uh, and, he's, and, and they were uh, people who went back, and they would find the, these, all these things, and they'd put them all together. And I think to myself, what an incredible miracle. You say, preacher, you believe that? I absolutely do. Listen, this book has been around for a long time now. Uh, you got to go back, go back in time with me all those years, some uh, 3,000 years ago, and, and you'd find, man, they, they didn't have the completed Word of God. But today, we have the completed Word of God. And, and what a blessing it is to us to know, hey, that, that God has preserved His Word and that He put it all together and that it's been translated from, man, praise the Lord, I don't have to learn Hebrew. Uh, I, I, Greek is kind of interesting to me. I, I don't mind it as much, uh, but, but Hebrew is, is backwards to me. It's, it's just a whole lot different. And, and, uh, and I'm glad that today, in 2020, you don't have to learn Greek and Hebrew to understand the Word of God. You, in your English language, you probably have... Uh, Three or four of your Bibles floating around your house. Some people uh, have, may have more than that. And, man, I've got a couple Bibles in my office, a couple Bibles at my house, a couple here and there. And, and Bibles are just uh, very, very easy to come by. But listen, that was not true in the day. And the fact that God preserved His Word and that they would copy these out, that's what it says there, uh, which they copied out. Listen, when it says copied out, they didn't just take them and slap them down on the copy machine and hit 100 copies. We'll give everyone to, at church. No, they had to sit down by hand and hand copy all those out. Do you think about the implications of writing all of this down and copying the Word of God and, and what a blessing it is for us today? Hey, we don't have to think about that. I mean, we've got copies uh, that are plenteous and it's not hard for us to come by. In, in 1 Peter 1.25, it kind of repeats that same promise. It says in 1 Peter 1.25, But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Listen, what a blessing that we have the Word of God. That's just the history, uh, a little bit of history, perhaps an insight of where these Proverbs came from and, and, uh, and what they're from. But they are Proverbs. He does mention uh, these are also, are also Proverbs of Solomon. So he was careful to make sure that Solomon was the one who wrote all of these. So that's just a little bit of history that we can see there in verse number 1. Verse number 2 I want you to see the honor of a king. Verse number two, the Bible says, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. As I was thinking about this verse, it says there in the first part, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. Listen, a, a king does not go and, and just... Uh, tell all the information. 
they're, they're generally, a wise king is going to be somebody that's, uh, that's reserved with the information and reserved with the stuff that they give out. And you think about the Lord God as the greatest king and how he has uh, concealed many things. That's not to say that some things are not evident and some things are not visible because uh, the Bible is very clear that even from creation you can see that there is a God. The Bible says that in Psalm chapter 19. And, and it's very clear and it's very evident from observing that there is a God. But in order to know that God better, hey, you've got to dig into the Word of God and find it because He has concealed about Himself many things throughout the Word of God. Not just about Himself in the Word of God, uh, but I heard one preacher many, many years ago, he said uh, God's got two books. He's got His indoor book, the Bible, and He's got His outdoor book, and that's nature. And then he went in and he went and told fact after fact after fact about nature and how God does all things consistently. And I, I, I go back and I listen to that message every now and then because it's unbelievable the stuff the guy goes through. And he, and he talks about watermelons, how they all have ten stripes. And he talks about the seas, or the oceans rather, and how the waves come in at a, a very timed in, in, um fashion, in a timely fashion, at the same time every, I forget the frequency that they come in, but they come in regularly off that ocean, and, and it's amazing all the stuff that is out there in nature, and, and, and perhaps we don't think of it, perhaps we go by it every day and we don't even think about it. Uh, he talks about this, he said one tree, uh, he said even if you were blind and you could not see the fruit on the tree, but you knew how the leaf patterns grow, you could run your hands down the branch of a tree and, uh, and feel the leaves, and you knew that if they grew opposite, uh, that it would be one kind of tree, and by the shape of the leaf, you would know what kind of tree it was, and, and if they grew uh, kind of uh, staggered down the limb, uh, that you would know it was a different kind of plant, and all the incredible ideas of, of how God has made creation and developed all of that, and how wonderful God is. And he's concealed all of that in nature. He's concealed much about himself in the Word of God. Uh, it's a little easier to study the Word of God, to be honest with you, than nature. But nature int is interesting. There's no doubt about it. Um, and, and you can look at uh, some of the stuff that's perhaps more easier to see or, or things of that nature. But uh, I'm telling you this, God has concealed a lot about himself because it's the glory of God to conceal a thing, and he has throughout all of creation. God is concealed in his word, God is concealed in nature, God is concealed in the scientific laws of nature. And, and though God can be uh, viewed very clearly in the Bible and even in nature and even in scientific laws, however, the deeper understanding of God is only revealed through a more rigorous study and search for him. You can know that there is a God, certainly by creation. But the more and more you look at it, the more and more you realize our God was very detailed. Our God was very, uh, very careful about how he organized everything. And then it goes on and it says in verse 2, it says, But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. And certainly, uh, God wants us to uh, in, in search out the word of God for him. 
Not only the Word of God, but everywhere. You can see God. Uh, and listen, the Bible is very clear. I preached on this Sunday. Uh, the, Bible promise, or the Bible promises blessings on those who re- read and meditate the Word of God. There's no doubt about it. And the more you study, the more you understand about God, the more you read, uh, even if you just read through the Word of God, and, and the more times you read through it, the more you see and the more you start to understand, you're like, wow, that's interesting and this is interesting. I kind of was thinking about an example, and I thought, you know, the the most obvious example is the ocean. Maybe if you've stayed all your life in Ohio, you may have not seen the ocean. No, I know you haven't, because there's no oceans by us. But if you've ever seen the ocean, it's very obvious. You're not going to miss it. You're not going to just drive by it. Matter of fact, you drive far enough on any piece of land in the world, and you're going to run into it. Uh, there, there's no way, I mean, most of the world is covered by water. And so water is very obvious. And you say, well, yeah, that's the ocean. And, and anybody could stand on the shore and say, there's an ocean there. And that's kind of like saying, well, there is a God. Well, there is an ocean and there is a God. And it is very obvious, and it is very apparent, and it is visible to many people, and it's very interesting to look at. And you can even go a little bit deeper. You can say, man, I I know a little bit about the ocean. What do you know? Well, I know that the water is salty. Well, there you know a little bit more about the ocean. But the more you get, the more you can dig in. And maybe you've gone to the ocean. You say, man, uh, you know, I've gone and, and I've gone in the beach and I've, I've played around and, and I've pulled out shells and I've seen some fish. And, and the more you spend time, hey, the more you start to know what's in that ocean and around that area. And then not only that, I had the opportunity. I've, I've never done that. I don't even like the ocean, to be honest with you. And the reason I don't like the ocean, I grew up around lakes and around rivers, and I'm fine with them. But in the ocean, there's creatures big enough to eat you. That's what bothers me. So I don't really care for the ocean, but uh, I had the opportunity when we lived down there uh, in Sicily and uh, even in Peru, but the oceans weren't that great. They had a very cold current, and it was always cold. And so I didn't spend a lot of time near the ocean in Peru, but... Um, in Sicily, we had the opportunity, and, and, and I had the opportunity, I went snorkeling. I never had been snorkeling before. And you know what? When you get out there and you have those goggles on and you stick your face down in, you know what? You spend a little time investigating what's there. And you're like, man, there are pretty things down there. They're bright colors. There's all kinds of neat things. And the more I did it, the more I, I was interested. And, and that's kind of diving in and getting to know the ocean. You can stand on the shore. You can see, well, yeah, it's an ocean. But you can't see any of the things that are down in there unless you start to get in and you start to investigate. Listen, you could go a step further. I've never done this. I've always wanted to. You could go scuba diving. You could put on tanks. And you could go even deeper into the ocean. And you can start to see things that, listen, scuba di- or, or snorkelers can't see that stuff. Because it's further down. And you investigate and you get to know even more. And then, listen, even after that, uh, there's other things. There's submarines. Now, you probably won't ever do that. That's big money. You get in one of those and you go way down further than scuba divers can go. 
And then there's drones, and they send them even further down than submarines and scuba divers can go. And what I'm saying is, there's depths of the ocean that have never been explored. They're unsearchable, and people don't even know there's fish down there uh, that exist that we don't know anything about in all reality. I mean, the ocean is so broad and so expanse and so deep and yet so shallow that you could step in it and start to investigate right there. And what I'm saying is, God is kind of like that, that hey, the more you dig in and the deeper you study and the deeper you dive, man, you just can't find an end to it. Because it just keeps going even more. And there's even more to it than you can understand. And it's the honor of God to conceal Himself like uh, the fish that are concealed in the sea that we don't know anything about. And, And listen, it's His honor to conceal Himself, but it's the honor of a king to search those things out. And say, you know what? I want to know more about God. And I want to read in the Bible about God. And I want to I wanna get on my scuba diving gear and I want to dive into the Word of God and find out what does this mean and find out what He's talking about in this passage. And I want to see the beautiful things that exist in God's Word by spending time in it and meditating and examining and seeking out God. He says in verse number 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. We see the honor of kings is to search out the Word of God. Not only that, but I want you to notice in verse number 3, the heart of a king. He says in verse number 3, the heaven for height and the earth for depth and the heart of kings is unsearchable. The heart of kings is unsearchable. I like that first phrase. I want to just take that for a moment. He says, the heaven for height and the earth for depth. Now, we talked about the ocean and the ocean is just in the earth and certainly it's expanse, but we didn't even talk about the heavens being the skies and the space and the stars and, and there's so much out there that, uh, that we know so little about in all reality. And he says that's the depth of it and the earth being the, uh, the, the, the depth of it and, and the heavens being the height of it. And he's saying, listen, it's an expanse that's tremendous. But not only that, as I look at the heavens, uh, I think of the idea too that heaven is heavenly and it's godly. And I think of earth as the idea of earthly and being fleshly. And, I, and then he goes on and he says in this same verse, the heaven for height and the earth for depth and the heart of kings is unsearchable. And, and I look at the direction of the heart being if our eyes and our mindset are focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and a heavenly mindset, uh, then we're not going to be earthly minded. Or if we're earthly minded and our heart and our mind are focused on earthly things, then there's going to be an earthly mindset that is there. And listen, as we think about the fact that uh, the heart is unsearchable, I want us to understand and realize that for man it is certainly that. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 and 10, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Yes, a question. But then he goes on in verse number 10 and he says this, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. 
And in Proverbs 4.23, he, he admonishes us to keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And certainly we understand that, hey, our heart can uh, lead us astray. Remember when uh, the disciples, uh, or the, the Pharisees rather, Jesus had told them, listen, uh, or the disciples, they didn't wash their hands one time. And boy, the Pharisees, they got all up in arms. They didn't wash their hands and they're eating food. What a, what a, what a wicked sin. Cast them out. And God, Jesus, corrected them and said, Listen, for out of the heart proceedeth, and he goes on, and, and I don't, I'm not going in order, I'm just giving you the, the rough paraphrase, the Shane Rice paraphrase. He says, Out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, wickedness, and all of those things. And he goes on and says, Hey, that comes out of the depths of the heart. And, and what he's saying is, Listen, the direction of the heart, we need to be careful and guard our heart uh, and point, keep pointed to heaven. But then also it says, uh, And the heart of kings is unsearchable. And I thought, well, God certainly can search our heart. And we ought to find the mind and the heart of God. But knowing the heart of a king and and the motive for why he does what he does. Listen, it's interesting to think about Solomon uh, and how, how God had uh, asked Solomon, hey, what is it that you want? In, in 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 29, uh, the Bible says this. Uh, you can turn over there real quick because there's two verses I want to look at. 1 Kings 4.29. Save your spot in Proverbs as we'll be back there. In 1 Kings chapter 4, we have when Solomon has just been asked what he wants, that takes place in chapter 3. And in chapter 4, there's some other things. But verse number 29 is God pouring out a blessing on Solomon. And look at what it says in 1 Kings 4.29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much. Look at this phrase, and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. God gave Solomon largeness of heart. I read that and I thought that was interesting. I I don't know what to make of it per se, but I do know this. I think Solomon's heart was large because he cared for the people and he tried his best to uh, rule the people in justice and in righteousness. And the reason that I think that, go back with me in in chapter 3 of verse number 9. This is what the Bible says in chapter 3, verse number 9. He says, when, when God comes to Solomon, he asks him, hey, what do you want me to give you? And verse 9 is his reply. He says, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? Solomon was feeling the pressure of the nation of Israel being God's chosen people. And I'm sure that Solomon probably knew uh, of the story of of Moses and how he had brought them out of Egypt and out of that bondage and led them through the wilderness and and the troubles and and, and, uh, frustration perhaps of Moses as he would lead the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, and and he would know many of the, the... stories of, of, of the nation of Israel throughout the first five books and even some of the history that comes up uh, after that. And then he finds himself as the heir to the throne, the son of David. And he says, man, 
I don't know that I'm fit to, to care for God's people, the nation of Israel, and to be the king and assume the throne. And so when God asks him what he wants, he says this, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And Solomon understood and realized, hey, this is not my kingdom. This is not my father's kingdom, David. Uh, it's not his kingdom. It's God's chosen people. And when I stand and be a king to them, and I judge what is right and what is wrong, hey, I want God's help in this. And so he asks for God to help him and to strengthen him and to give him wisdom. And we find that, hey, God did give him an understanding heart. And in chapter 4, we find that God enlarged his heart gave him a, perhaps a greater desire or burden for the nation of Israel uh, to be in charge. And, and listen, sometimes, it, well, I'm sure many times it would be tough to look at Solomon and say, well, I don't know why he made that decision. And perhaps his heart was unsearchable. But at the same time, he was the wisest man and gave out a lot of wisdom. And then I, I think about God's heart, as we think about the heart of kings is unsearchable. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55, you can turn over there really quick if you'd like, Isaiah 55 and verse number 8. The Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And God's thoughts are so much higher, and we think about God as the King of kings, and how unsearchable are his, uh, is His heart or His motive. And as we look at this idea that, that listen, His heart may be, un, um, we might not be able to discover all of it, because His ways are higher than our ways. But listen, I want to understand as much as I can about the king who's concealed himself in the, in the word of God, who's concealed himself in creation, who's concealed himself throughout uh, everything. And I want to search him out and I want to know who he is, though I may not always understand his motive and his heart may seem unsearchable, but at the same time I want to know who God is. And we can see the heart of a king in verse number 3 that it's something that is uh, difficult to know. But I want you to notice in verse 4 and 5, back in our text in Proverbs 25. The Bible says this in verse number 4, chapter Proverbs 25, 4. Take away the dross from the silver, and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne shall be established in righteousness. 
We understand that first part in verse number four, take away the dross from the silver and there shall come forth a vessel to the finer. Obviously, it is talking about uh, silver. Uh, silver has, uh, sometimes it has impurities in it. And so uh, they would have to warm it up and then scrape off the impurities out of it to make sure that it's clean and that it's pure silver. Uh, but I want you to understand this because uh, silver with dross is still silver. It's just not very pure. It's mixed with impurities. And silver with dross isn't as pure, it isn't as pretty, and it isn't as precious. And I I think about that, and I think of us as children of God, and children of the King, and children of the the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and I think our life with dross and impurities in it is not as pretty, it's not as pure, and it's not as precious with the sin and the corruptions from the world. And he's saying, hey, that we need to remove the dross from the silver, and we need to remove the, uh, the impurities from our life. And listen, sometimes we have influences and we have impurities in our life that would corrupt our silver and that we would allow in there. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20, but in a great house are, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these. He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. And I think, boy, we ought to purge the dross out of our life. He starts both of those verses in 4 and 5. Take away the dross. Take away the wicked from before the king. And his throne shall be established in righteousness. I read that and I thought, God is king. And I have a throne in my life. And I, I, if I'm worldly, if I'm selfish, I sit on my throne. But if I, I remove myself from my throne and I allow God to sit on my throne of my life, And I allow Him to be Lord in my life and to control me and and I submit myself to Him and and I, I remove the wickedness from before His throne that His throne will be established in righteousness in my life. And listen, my life can be a silver that is pure, that is pretty, and that is precious. But when I allow the impurities of the world to get into my life, and I allow the impurities and the corruption to stay in my life, Uh, listen, it it may still be silver, but it's just not as precious, it's just not as valuable, it's just not as good as, as something that is pure with all the iniquity and all the wickedness and all the dross that is taken out of it. And we ought to strive to take away the dross out of our life and take away the wicked from before the king and His throne shall be established in righteousness. We, ought to, we see the holiness of a king as he set up without wickedness. Look at verses 6 and 7. And we can see the humility of a king. Verses 6 and 7 are pretty simplistic. It says this, Put not forth thyself in the presence of of the king and stand not in the place of great men 
For better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. In, in Bible times and in king times, there's, uh, the, the king would be, uh, of course, the most prominent figure. And, and if there were to be a gathering or, or a dinner or anything of that nature, of course, there would be many t- tables and many places. And, and basically, if you set yourself way at the back and you set yourself far away from the king, uh, he's saying, uh, that's a good thing. Uh, if, now, if you waltz right up and you say, man, I'm... I'm one of the king's loyal subjects, and you pull out the chair and you sit down at the dinner table with the king. And one of the butlers comes up, <clears throat> excuse me, sir, um, that seat, it's, it's reserved. You can go sit back over in that corner. We have a spot, you see that one way over there by the door? That's your seat. And that man would be embarrassed. And that person would say, man, I, I thought I was on better better terms with the king, and, and he would be removed. And, and instead of thinking yourself uh, somebody that is great and important enough to enter into the presence of the king and to sit at his table, uh, he's saying rather, hey, it would be far better if you were to enter into the room and sit at one of the tables that's farther back, and the butler would, the king would spot him. What's my good friend doing over there? Hey, get, send the butler. Hey, go get that guy and tell him he's supposed to be up here at my table. And that would be an honor for that guy because he was humble and he said, you know, I'm not worthy to sit at the king's table, but I'm going to sit way over here in this spot. And he sets himself down and the butler would come and say, sir, listen, I'm sorry you're confused, but the king has requested your presence at his table. And he would walk him up to the king's table and set him down with the king. And that's kind of what this verse is talking about. He says in verse number six, put not thy Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. In other words, don't think so high of yourself as to enter in and think, man, I'm the guy uh, that's supposed to be right there at the king's table and that I should be uh, right there with him. Do you remember when the disciples, one of their mothers was walking with Jesus and she said to Jesus, she said, hey, when, when you enter into heaven, do me this favor, grant that my one son would sit on your right and my other son would sit on your left hand. And what did Jesus say? He said, you don't know what you're asking. It's not for me to give, but for my Father to give the place. And listen, then he goes on, I'm pretty sure in that same passage, and and he talks about being a servant is to be the greatest in heaven. To be somebody who is humble and would say, you know what, I'm just going to serve and I'm just going to do and and not think of yourself as somebody that is uh, so um, high and mighty that needs to sit at the table of the king. He says, no, it'd be far greater to humble yourself and consider yourself uh, one of the lower people than to consider yourselves one of the greater people. And he says there in verse 7, for it is better For better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. We see the humbleness or the humility before a king. And humility is honored and brought forward. Listen, in the world, that's not the idea. The philosophy that the world... uh, 
promotes and, and would, would have everyone to believe is that, man, you've got you to gotta tell everyone how great you are and how wonderful you are. The Bible says this in Proverbs 27, 2, Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. That's the opposite of the philosophy of the world. The world is, man, you've got to go tell everyone how good you are and how, how wonderful you do everything and, and how uh, you, you're just the best and, and that you can do this and you can do that. And, and the Proverbs saying, hey, you, you don't have to tell anybody anything. Just put your hand to the plow and do your job and do what God would have you to do. And let God worry about the rest. And let God worry about uh, whether or not you're honored or not honored. And you just be humble about the work that you do. That's royal advice. And in the presence of the King, that we would remain our common people that we would be. Or maybe not high-minded would be a better way to put it. And think that we're something that we're not. So that's just a few things that we can see here from these passages. Uh, We can see the honor of a king, the heart of a king, the holiness of a king, and the humility before a king we should maintain our humbleness about who we are. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Father, we thank you for your word. God, what what an incredible God you are. Concealed throughout the word, concealed throughout creation and in science, and God, help us as we help us to search out who you are in the Word of God. And God, may we draw closer to you and get to know you better. And God, help us to purge the dross from our life. Help us to be humble. Help us to follow you. Oh God, certainly we are children of a king. Certain we are royal family. But God, help us not to be heady or high-minded. But help us to be humble servants as you exemplified in coming to this world. Shedding your blood, dying on the cross, for a world that hates you. God, help us to follow your example. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We just have a short hymn of invitation. If God spoke into your heart, there's always opportunity to pray. Maybe we need to search him out a little bit more. Maybe there's some dross in our life that needs purged out maybe it's just going to thank the Lord for the Bible that we have and how it's preserved and what a blessing to know that God's preserved his word for us spend a little time in his word studying looking for him Getting to know him better.
we'll bring our invitation to a close. All right. Um, just a couple things coming up. A missions month is coming up in the month of March, so you don't want to miss that. Uh, the teens, for the parents of teens that may be in here, they have a teen activity uh, on February the 26th, the game night at the church here. So just to make everyone aware of that. And then uh, March 2nd, Mary and Martha meeting is coming up the first Tuesday of March. Uh, so that's it. Those, that's all the announcements. So uh, tell someone you're glad to see them here tonight and uh, smile at somebody. And thanks for being here and pray we don't have snow on Sunday. Amen. We'll see you back.